Thank you for stopping by at the Movie Marquee. Our podcast reviews well-known movies and contains spoilers. The podcast may contain mature subject matter and mature language. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy the show. Quiet on set. Places, everybody. Welcome everyone to the Movie Marquee. Today's showing is the 1992 action comedy from director Richard Donner, Lethal Weapon 3. With me today are Ted. We can't shoot a dog. People? Okay, but not dogs. And Ken. You to that man, he's the jam in my jelly roll. Nice. And I'm Eric. You have the right to remain unconscious. Anything you say ain't going to be much. Ted, give us some of the particulars on this one. Okay, thanks Eric. Lethal Weapon 3 was directed by Richard Donner. It was a screenplay by Shane Black, Jeffrey Bohm, and Robert Mark Kame. It had a running time of 118 minutes, a release date of May 15th, 1992. It had a budget of $35 million with a box office gross of $321.7 million. So an overwhelming nice. success. And that is crazy. It's like robbing a bank. That's crazy. So Lethal Weapon 3 stars Mel Gibson as Martin Riggs, Danny Glover as Roger Murtaugh, Joe Pesci as Leo Getz, newcomer Rene Russo as Lorna Cole, Stuart Wilson as Jack Travis, Steve Cahan as Captain Ed Murphy, Darlene Love as Trish Murtaugh, Ebony Smith as Carrie Murtaugh, Nick Chinland as Hatchet, Dolores Hall as Dolores Jackson, the armored car driver. Tracy Wolf as Rianne Murtaugh, and Damon Hines as Nick Murtaugh. All right, so this movie, we've added one more person we've heard of, Rene Russo, so we're up to a cast of four now. Ted, what are the uh, reviews on this one? Well, in Rotten Tomatoes, it has this critic score of 60%, and it has an audience score of 61%. So the audience pretty much thinks the same thing as the critics did. When I went through the major critics, it was kind of split. The people who didn't like it, though really didn't like it. But let's start with some positive critics. We had Time Magazine. Their summation of their review was a cheerfully amoral movie that cannily caters and satirizes our passion for cinematic violence. From the staff of Variety Magazine, Lethal Weapon 3 manages to be highly entertaining and sanctions all its violence by making the bad guy so despicable that death seems to be the only solution. And then we had our friend Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times. He gave it a 3 out of 4 stars, and he wrapped up his review like this. They know what they're doing and how to do it, but we miss the sense of invention that brightened the earlier movies. Parts 1 and 2 seemed to wing it. This one falls back on experience and craftsmanship. Perhaps as a reflection of that, Lethal Weapon 3 depends more on chases, explosions, and set pieces than it does on character development. They have the same freewheeling relationship, but the movie doesn't pause for the little human set pieces, like the dinner at Murtaugh's house in the first film, or the various scenes set in Riggs' shambles of a house trailer. Yet there are elements in the movie that make it worth seeing, and that set it aside from the routine movies in this genre. If Lethal Weapon 3 were the first film in a series, it wouldn't be a very promising beginning. But it gets the job done the third time around. But I have a feeling, maybe after this one, Murtaugh really should consider retirement. And then there's the negative critics. You had Vincent Camby of the New York Times. He summed his review up, the movie isn't going anywhere, but it goes in circles at top speed. Peter Travers from Rolling Stone said, It's mediocrity wielded by experts. And Decent Thompson of the Washington Post said, If there's an original moment in this movie, producer Joe Silver and director Richard Donner sincerely apologize for it. The major critics were rather split down the middle. Hell, it sounds like even the positive reviews aren't very positive. Ken, how about the plot of Lethal Weapon 3? A week before his retirement, Sergeant Roger Murtaugh and his partner Martin Riggs are demoted to uniform duties. Riggs failed to defuse an office building bomb, which he should have waited for the bomb squad. While harassing a jaywalker, they witness a robbery and help to thwart the crime, assisted by armored car driver Dolores. One of the two thieves give away, but the other is taken into police custody for the robbery and for not wearing his seatbelt. 
Jack Travis, a former LAPD lieutenant and cappuccino enthusiast, is running an armed smuggling ring in Los Angeles. The two robbers work for Jack, but were trying to do a side job that didn't work out. Travis is currently negotiating with mobster Tyrone regarding his arms deal. The armor car thief that escaped is brought to Travis, who kills him in front of Tyrone for putting the police on his trail. Travis then uses his old police credentials to enter the interrogation room and kill the suspect in custody before he can be interviewed. Travis is unaware that a closed-circuit cameras have been installed in the station, and Cole is able to confirm Travis's identity. The department is further concerned that the thieves were using armor-piercing bullets. Riggs and Murtaugh are re-promoted and assigned to work with Sergeant Cole from Internal Affairs to track down Travis. While the three are reviewing the footage, their good friend Leo Getz arrives and immediately recognizes Travis from several prior business deals and his love for ice hockey. Murtaugh, Riggs, and Getz narrowly miss capturing Travis at a hockey match, and Getz is wounded. Riggs and Murtaugh witness a drug deal and attempt to stop it. Murtaugh kills a gunman who fired at them while the rest escape. Murtaugh recognizes the gunman that he killed. It's Daryl, a close friend of his son Nick. With Murtaugh emotionally distraught, Briggs and Cole head to the warehouse where they successfully secure the next arms shipment delivery. That night, Riggs and Cole find they have feelings for each other and sleep together. Riggs later finds a guilt-ridden Murtaugh drunk on his boat and consoles him in time for Daryl's funeral. Cole finds that Daryl's gun was originally in police custody, meant to be destroyed, but were stolen by Travis. They revoke his credentials from the system. They further tie the guns to Tyrone. Tyrone directs them to an auto garage where many of the henchmen work from. Riggs, Murtaugh, and Cole are able to arrest several of the men. Meanwhile, Travis has one of his men hack into the computer system to find another armed storage area. He then forces Captain Murphy under gunpoint to take him to the new facility so he can steal the guns using Murphy's credentials. Cole finds the evidence of hacking and Murphy's absence, and the three, along with the rookie cop, intercept Travis. They are able to rescue Murphy, but the rookie cop is killed by Travis. Getz provides information on a housing development owned by Travis's shell company. Riggs, Murtaugh, and Cole infiltrate the site at night and enter a large-scale gunfight. Riggs sets the construction site on fire, and most of Travis' men are killed. Travis wounds Cole by shooting her with the armor-piercing bullets. When Travis uses a bulldozer to chase down Riggs, using its blades as a bullet a shield, Murtaugh tosses Daryl's gun, now loaded with armor-piercing bullets, to Riggs, who then shoots and kills Travis through the blades. After finding out that Cole wore two layers of vest, Riggs admits his love for her, and she is taken away in a chopper. There's that chopper again. We needed one more chopper, right? The next day, Murtaugh's family is celebrating his retirement when Murtaugh reveals to Getz that he has decided not to sell his house and stay with the force, preserving his partnership with Riggs. As the film ends, Riggs announces his relationship with Cole to Murtaugh. And there's actually a scene that after the credits where they actually blow up another building. If you stayed around for the credits, there's that extra little bit. I did not stay around for the credits. And it was just as ridiculous as the first one. Okay. All right. Completely un- unbelievable. Unbelievably needed. Funny thing, though, about that office building, it was actually in Florida, and it was actually scheduled to be demolished anyway. Well, of course, that's like why they city. did it. Because one of the cops and is actually the mayor of Orlando. So they actually went down there and they blew it up, and they also filmed the boat scene. That was all filmed down in Florida as well. Exciting stuff there. Thank you. All right, Ted, when's the first time you saw this movie? It was this week when I was preparing for the podcast. Because if I saw it before, I don't remember it. So there's no real special story about this one. It's pretty straightforward. I can honestly say if I didn't see it before, I didn't miss much. So, Ditto, man. Same thing. I know I probably saw it before. Couldn't tell you when. Didn't remember anything when I saw it now. Same thing for me. Ken, how about you? Saw it in the theater. So sorry. Uh, first run. Was very excited at this point to see it. I had seen the first two. Had to see the third one in the theater. I did go see it and watched it a lot of times during the 90s. It was a staple on paid cable and probably have seen it more than a dozen times. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Okay. You guys shouldn't be sorry. It's not that bad of a movie. Time will tell. We'll talk about it. All right, let's let's dive right in here. I'd like to start off with my hatred of Joe Pesci in this series so far. Every movie gets worse and worse and worse, especially in this one. He is not even needed one iota. This movie could be done without him, and you wouldn't miss a beat. You couldn't be any more right. Could he be any more Um, whinier? I mean, I was really rooting for him to be killed on the ice, to be honest with you. 
it would have made for a better movie if that was the tragedy of the movie that somebody like gets, which you guys can argue with me if he's a likable character or not. He, I think he was in the second film. I think people did like him. This would have been a great time to kill him <laughs> off and be something that kind of launches it would this have, investigation. It, it would have given everything more stakes because that's one thing that this movie lacks is stakes. There's no gravity as to what is going on. I mean, in the second movie, it was a bunch of racists. There was stuff going on. You felt these guys were bad, and there was a reason. These guys in this movie are just, they're bad. They're bad. But, they're just bad. And, but there's no reason for Riggs and Murtaugh to destroy an entire subdivision and completely destroy everything trying to get these people. There's parts of this movie that are complete revenge fantasy, and I never got that. When you say first... subdivision, what subdivision are you talking about? The one, they were the one at the very end. So you are upset that they destroyed the subdivision that the bad guy they didn't need is to. using as a front. They didn't need to do it. It's all don't... pointless. That whole last scene is all pointless. All they had to do was know. all I they just, had to I... do was get a bunch of cops and go in there and raid the place when they know that he's there and take him in, into custody. They didn't have to have a shootout with the bad guys. It's completely ridiculous. I don't know if it's completely ridiculous. I kind of like the idea of ruining something that he built. That's fine. I mean, it's a front, but it still cost him a lot of money probably to do all that. Well, that's fine. And I'm not sitting here saying that it needed to exist. I mean, let somebody tear it down. They didn't have to burn it down. They didn't have to have a gunfight with the bad guys at the end. There's nothing equal here. Nothing was done to these two guys to go off on a revenge fantasy just to go out to kill bad guys. There was a revenge factor. I mean, they killed his son's best friend. No, I mean, Roger I Murtaugh mean, killed his best friend. And if you really, well, yeah, but and if you really want to get te- if you really want to get technical, Riggs is the reason that that kid died because he was a dumbass and decided to go try to take down the drug deal all by himself instead of having his partner with him and actually arresting the kids. Well, he probably so, didn't know that the kids had machine guns. That even in the 90s, it wasn't really known they had the kids having machine guns. I understand what you're saying to a certain extent, but I think there's just this overthinking about this. This is a revenge the problem movie. Is, is it's not... The problem is nobody thought about this movie. And if they would have given it a half of thought, the plot would have been better. But that's the whole problem with this whole movie, is nobody gave anything, any sort of a thought, as to why these two guys are going off the rails, and they're just going half-assed, and just blowing shit up, and just going after the bad guys full bore, other than the fact that that's what they did in the previous two movies. Movies, so that's what they have to do now. And the bad guys don't equal that. These bad guys don't equal anything. But if you have them kill Leo Gatz, now you've got motivation. There I should be no. The movie as it stands, there's no motivation for them to go completely AWOL and just start blowing shit up. They also kill some cops. Let's not forget here, they did kill some cops. They killed the young rookie cop, which originally this young rookie cop was supposed to be the next Martin Riggs. He, in the movie or yeah. in real life, in the he movie. was supposed to play Martin Riggs. No, in the movie, he's, he's yeah. That's baloney like... sausage. The moment you saw him and he said that he it was happy birthday, you knew after mm-hmm. that moment he was tagged for death. Oh yeah, I mean he, he was tagged Roper, for death at that moment. Richard Roper wrote a whole book of lists entitled Ten Ways You Know Your Character's Going to Die." That is one of them. If your character says, "Hey, I'm young and this is my first day on the force," or if your partner says, "This is my last day of retirement," you know that those people are going to die. And you knew in oh, yeah. Lethal Weapon 3 that there was no way in hell they were going to kill off Roger Murtaugh. Kid it comes on the screen and says, hey, it's my birthday today. And you know that at that exact moment that that guy's going to get a bullet. No different than Dirty Harry, where all Dirty Harry's partners seem to have killed because, hey. Well, because you know, you're not, you're not going to kill Clint Eastwood. And so I don't I, care necessarily for Dirty Harry. And That's I agree a, with you to a certain extent here. I, and I was I was the one that mentioned this is a better movie with Leo Getz dying. Right. It makes a lot more sense for that it to does. happen. But it does set up for the revenge thing when they kill some cops. One, that they showed that there was a little bit of a closeness with them. They were no, making they fun of them and having jokes. They've had a couple so, of jokes. I mean, but he was like, he was in a number of scenes with them, and they were always referencing him and giving him a hard time. I mean, we can't spend the whole movie with them just giving him a hard time. He's a rookie cop, so they're they're playing with the rookie. And, and maybe we could have used a little bit more of that. I felt the character wasn't deep enough. If they would have made that rookie cop a little deeper, saw a little bit more of him and got to know him a little bit more, then when he dies means a little bit more right and that's why i think leo gets makes more sense here because of the fact that we know leo right. and for some of us like eric <laughs> 
he'd be happy that he's gone. But at the same time, for some other people, they'd be like, well, that sucks. Well, yeah. That sucks. And it and it sets up the fact that there's a reason for him to go completely AWOL and just start blowing stuff up and killing people. So there's a reason why this plot is all messed up. I think Richard Donner in this movie especially reacts to certain things. So he finds out he can use the building in Miami to blow up. So he adds that into the film. Then he finds out that this construction company goes bankrupt. So they have this the subdivision that they can go ahead and do whatever they want with them. So he adds that to it. And I think that's the problem is he's adding too much on the fly. That's to, no way to make to a movie. movie. I think also and, the know, fact that there was, I think, three rewrites of this movie too. Well, and you don't have the same crew as you did in the first two movies. Some of the same people are there, but there are some other people in different roles because now doing different type of movies and doing different type of things in the industry. If this is how they were going to use Joe Pesci's character, they should have just left him out. I agree. He adds nothing to this movie. He has no bearing on the movie whatsoever. Eric's exactly right. And now all of a sudden he's a he's a realtor. Right. An annoying realtor. Exactly. A pushy, annoying realtor with bleach blonde hair driving a little Cadillac Elante. I mean, it's not the Joe Pesci we want to see. No. And he's also rehashing the the same lines. Yeah, he talks exactly. about the hospital. They right. have you yes. at the hospital. You know? Yeah, it's like I don't want to hear that kind of stuff. And they do it again in *Lethal Weapon* four. You know, oh. uh, unfortunately, oh, they use the same line. But yeah, yay! But it's unfortunate because the new character here, Renee Russo, she's awesome. I love her. Mm-hmm. Renee Russo, to me, in the 90s, if there's a actress that I can gravitate to in the 90s, this might be her. I don't um, know she, about that. Really? Yeah, I mean, I have no issues with Renee Russo. I don't know if the character is needed. Now we have a badass girlfriend of Riggs who can handle her own stuff and right. take on everything. It just, I, you know, I like my buddy movies. I don't like my triplet movies, to be honest with you. I, I, I don't know. I just wasn't, I, it wasn't bad. So Riggs and Murtaugh have that camaraderie. They have that bond together where they are truly, you know, friends and buddy-buddy in the lines. And you believe it and you've grown up. Now you're adding in the third wheel. And yes, I called Rene Russo the third wheel. It didn't do it for me. Here's the thing. I think Riggs needs an adversary. She's not an adversary. Yes, she is. She starts off a little bit that way. Well, yes, initially. Yes, she's an adversary. I mean, she's basically him... Right, but a female. and that's my She's, biggest complaint, yeah. that they're too alike. They're too alike. And plus, the moment you see her on screen and he starts his stick with Murtaugh in the elevator, you know from the first moment she appears on screen, even if you don't know anything about the movie, you know that they're going to fall in love. The scene that irritated me the most, honestly, was the Jaws ripoff when they're talking about their war wounds. Yeah. Their scars. Yeah. I, I, don't know. Know. I thought it was a nice little change of pace than no, our I, usual foreplay that we usually see. I think it's fun. I think it's enjoyable. And I like the fact that we're in the 90s now. So guess what happens when we go into the 90s? Cut scenes. Hammer time? Yeah. No nudity. Yeah, they cut the no scene. No nudity they cut the scene Oh, off. look at him smiling. He's so happy about that. So freaking ridiculous. So happy. There's no, there's no Mel Gibson butt. He gets into his I, underwear. Guys, He's in I his use... underwear, but that's not naked guys, butt. I use this saying a lot in movies. It's one of my core themes. I usually say hardcore nudity couldn't help this movie. It, I don't think this movie's that bad. I, it's this, just, this movie's almost it's, like it's, last, the last movie. It's ridiculous. Oh, no. No, it's not anywhere near Nowhere's the last Nowhere's near the last movie. The thing that ticked me off the most with her character, here again at the end of the movie, it's the three of them getting ready to start shooting it out with the bad guys who really didn't do anything to them, but they all have to die. And she jumps out and starts with a handgun taking on guys that she knows have automatic weapons. Completely and utterly stupid. One ridiculous thing after another. Another thing that just gets on my nerves. Everybody claimed in the first movie, and it was shown, that Riggs, he's a marksman. He can shoot. Now, all of a sudden, nobody could hit the broadside of a barn. Is he missing? Because I don't see him missing. Between the bad guys and Riggs and Murtaugh and Rene Russo's character, they fire more bullets without hitting anything. It's a typical action movie everybody fires as much as they possibly can and they only hit when they absolutely need to but people are missing all the time and nobody reloads well yeah that's typical typical 
any type of movie during the 80s and 90s with these type of films. The semi-autos with 50 uh, rounds in them. A marksman, though, is somebody, though, that is more of a standstill. I mean, he's running and going around, and you expect him to be the 100% accurate. Like he was in the, the first thing. two how movies? Many, yeah. How many cops do they have to kill before you think that they deserve to die, these gun dealers? They are not seeking revenge. Important. They are not seeking revenge for the murder cops. The murder cops are secondary in this movie. Murtaugh is there for one reason, because in another ignorant scene that totally blows off the magnitude of what the scene has, he goes up to the family of the boy he killed and his mom slaps him, which is right, but then the dad says in an all high and mighty voice, you need to get the guy that put the gun in my son's hand. That's why Murtaugh's out there. It's not because no, they've I... been killing cops, and it's not even because they took the captain hostage. That has nothing to do with it. This is a re- should have killed the captain, too. This is all revenge. It's all about that murder. So and you have a problem with revenge movies? No, I have a problem with what about the bad taken movies? revenge movies. I don't know. I, first of all, I agree with you with the funeral scene. Him walking up to them right after it. That's just ridiculous. It's asinine. Anything, I don't like that at all. I don't have a problem with what the father says. But I do have a problem oh, with have... that they're even there to begin with. Yeah, the fact that they're there is asinine. And what the dad says is completely and utterly stupid and ridiculous. Well, what do you want him to say? How about get the hell out of here? You killed my son. So you don't think he understood that his son tried to kill him? And he Maybe. Tried to well, he does. he does. Maybe. You need to get the hell I out totally of I totally agree. He should not funeral. be there. I understand. And he got slapped for it. They should not have been there. None of them should have been there. Right. Another the Jaws ripoff scene. Yeah. And the fact that nobody <laughs> at that funeral had a problem with that besides the mother slapping him, people were there, would have turned around and be like, what are you doing here, cop? You need to leave. I'm surprised none of that happened. Doing this your is your cop. typical 80s, 90s action flick. None of it makes sense. None of the Arnold Schwarzenegger, none of the Sylvester Stallone movies, barely any of the Bruce Willis movies made any sense. Over the top made sense. Over the top does not make <laughs> sense, and it's not an action movie. But I get it. When you do sequels, it gets more and more unbelievable, the crap that they have and... to layer on top of it, because they have to outdo the other movies. And that's unfortunate, because you have great chemistry. I still think the chemistry here saves this movie. I still think Bell Gibson and Danny Glover are great when they're in the scenes together. I, I love them, and they are able to make this still work for me. I disagree with both of you. I think Renee Russo is really really good in this i enjoy her a lot uh, i could deal less with joe pesci but i'd like to see a little bit more of the family maybe they would have start this off with roger and his son having differences and then roger kills his best friend in a shootout then that makes their relationship a little strained but his son finally comes around to it there's so much more that could have been done exactly. with this movie that wasn't done and so this is kind of a cookie cutter action flick that's my biggest unfortunately that's my biggest complaint. very much of a cookie cutter that is that's a good description actually it's a cash grab. But you still have the chemistry. It's not like the chemistry went away between Gibson and Glover. The chemistry is still there, and it's fun at times. But they're still trying to play it off with a higher purpose. And that's where the problem is. If you're going to be a cookie-cutter action movie that really has no underlying sincerity to it, this movie tries to come off with sincerity. They try to play off the violence in Los Angeles in the early 1990s, and they use that in a very bad way. They justify the fact that the only positive thing about the whole killing of Nick's best friend, Daryl, is thank God they didn't have rigs shooting. White on black, then yeah. you have, now we have a serious problem. And you can't do the whole jokey, ha-ha, fun shit if all of a sudden the white guy's killing the black kid. At least they had Murtaugh kill him. Even though, in my opinion, Riggs still got him killed because he decided to go in and do something by himself. I don't know if he thinks he's Dirty Harry or Superman. Okay, Riggs getting but, him killed, that's a silly... I don't notion. think so. I'm sorry. If he doesn't, I mean, the if kid he, had his own machine gun, if he didn't did, he get himself killed? If he doesn't go in by himself and trying to be John Wayne or whoever, the whole situation is completely different. So you're wanting him to, hey, I'm going to let this go. I'm going to go tell my partner. I'm going to call for backup. But by then, they're going to be gone anyway. So we'll just let it be because that's okay. Play it off as another excuse for another gunfight in which here again, nobody hits anybody except for the moment that Murtaugh kills the kid. Well, he also gets hit in the back of the head with a two-by-four. And to be honest with you, I thought at one particular time, I thought this was Murtaugh's son, either the one with the machine gun or the kid that's running away. Because why do you focus with this kid in a t- white t-shirt that's running away from the scene of the crime? I'm thinking, uh-oh, this is 
Murtaugh's son. When I was in the theater, I'm like, holy crap, he's his son. And then his son comes back to be redeemed later on in the movie because he has that relationship with his father. It makes more sense. I mean, you have three kids and all of them are perfect kids is a little bit too much for me. You should have one outlier out of the three. As a viewer, you gave more thought to the plot of this movie than the writers of this movie did. I totally agree. I should have wrote this film. But <laughs> but I agree with you to a certain extent. I think this movie missed the boat a lot. I guess I'm not being hung up on that because of the fact that I still love this duel. Here's the problem. Don't try to give me a message and then not have any intelligence behind that message. As far as Riggs, I said he's a cross between Superman and Dirty Harry. Is he Wolverine now? He falls at least two stories off of that construction of that overpass. Yeah. And he's perfectly fine. I have a problem with that, too. He's he just Wolverine. keeps dislocating the shoulder. That's his shtick, is dislocating the shoulder. He can't be killed. It's just one ridiculous thing after another. Wolverine. How much is this any different than the second movie when there was a lot of, like, the chasing even at the beginning of the second movie? I didn't like the chasing at the beginning of the movie, if you remember. Okay, but there's a lot of that in the second movie as well. I mean, remember we talked about him pulling down the house with his pickup truck? There's a lot of ridiculous stuff in two and three. That's why I'm saying this is basically the same movie again. But this time, maybe you're just a little bit more sick of it because you're seeing it more and more. Whereas me, I'm focused on the buddy relationship, which I enjoy. And, I st- and like I said, I like Renee Russo. I like that she's a badass. I like the fact that she can kick butt and look good doing it. I like the fact that they didn't go really young with her. I like the fact that I think at this time, I think she's in her late 30s. And I like the fact that they're keeping the age range with Mel Gibson believable. I like that because they could have easily gone with with a young 20-something-year-old and played it off like that, like a lot of the action movies do, where you have a 50-year-old guy and a 22-year-old girl, like the James Bond films that do that almost every single flick. I appreciate the casting of Renee Russo here. that wrong? You I shouldn't do that? I think it's silly that most <laughs> most of those type of movies do it that way. And she wasn't a big name up to this time. She only had done a couple movies worth of note. I know Major League was one of the ones that I remember. Ah, Major League, from. yeah. And there was another movie, I think, called Mr. Destiny. This flick was the movie that really catapulted her to star status. After this, she makes a whole lot of very good movies. That's very true. And here's another thing. Would have made the movie at least a little bit more interesting, and we would have been saved the stupid jokes about the fact that Murtaugh thinks that Riggs is having an affair with his daughter. Constantly. There was another rewrite of this movie where they did have a relationship. Thank God that that didn't happen. Yeah. Then they should have taken out all the stupid jokes that came after. A lot of the jokes here don't land either. Because now you have Riggs, instead of just some of the silly stuff, he's doing dad jokes. In a way, the catastrophe thing kind of made me giggle, but it's supposed to be ha-ha funny, and it's not ha-ha funny. I don't know. I thought it was ha-ha funny. I agree with you that the opening scene doesn't make a lot of sense. I think it's fun watching them go back and forth. You you have Roger that wants to just get out there, get out of there, and... and Riggs wants to stay and defuse the bomb and how they play off each other. It's fun. Where the bomb was located, it must have been real close to the front door. Because as fast as that clock was running down, there's no way they would have made it out. Yeah, I said that to my son when we yeah, watched this. I'm yeah, like, that's true. That should have been, and, at least give him a minute to get and, out of there or and something. And also, too, if the 90s taught us anything, a.k.a. Oklahoma City, that little car bomb is not going to bring that huge-ass building down the way it did. I don't know how much explosives were there. I'm not an explosive expert. There's you know, a little bit of C4 in that car, but... It, it was full of, yeah, it was, it was like a car bomb. That building, you could tell, like Eric had said at the beginning, that that building was set for destruction. No, of course it was. You're not going to just blow up a building willy-nilly. I mean, permits and all that stuff. But again, it's the same thing as Lethal Weapon 2. We have a bomb under his toilet, and the toilet flies up in the air and hits the car. And we didn't like that either. And we didn't didn't like that. There was part of that scene that was actually really good. And we've all said this. The criminals in the first one and the second one are definitely more believable. These adversaries in this one are just kind of like, eh. And what's the deal? 
deal? I know it's a Seinfeld line there, but what's the deal with this bad cop, Travis, I think it is, who keeps walking into the LAPD with expired... Exactly. Uh, everyone's like, hey, Travis, long time no see. Come on in. Right. I'm like, what the hell? I mean, he just walks in there like it's nothing. I think he just knows how the system works, and the system's broken. Apparently. How, Apparently, because that... they, they allow him to go into an interrogation room with a suspect. This is also a cop that has also got into their computer system, so who knows what else he can hack. Thank God they didn't have a scene of him doing that, because you want to talk about even making this even more ridiculous. But I don't think it's much more ridiculous than the second one. Nobody in the entire force sees him pull the gun on the captain and take the captain hostage. Right, right, and, yeah. And as they go into the uh, underground storage... No one sees no, him handcuffed. Nobody questions the two guys he's got in the back of the car? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. And then the topper of that whole scene is they have the little shootout and the, the kid gets shot with the bullet. and The cop killer and, bullet. Right, the cop killer bullet. And then... <laughs> How do the bad guys get away? They have a magic truck with magic wheels that they can run down the subway and they can outrun a subway train. And oh, and guess what? Guess who else can run down a subway train? Riggs. Riggs. Stupid on top of stupid on top of stupid. Then they get away in the truck because they press the button and the the special wheels come up off of the the truck and get away. That's real. That's a real type of thing. That is a real type of truck. But those wheels on there are not meant to be driving on the interstates the way they're doing it. But again, Riggs catching up to something that he shouldn't catch up to. Guess what it happened? Lethal Weapon 2 and Lethal Weapon 1. Guess what? I didn't didn't like like it then either. So you don't like a lot of this stuff, but somehow... These other movies were good because this one there was actual good. acting going on. There's only one scene that you get honest, real acting between Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. When Mel Gibson walks into the boat and they have a really heartfelt conversation where you can see that Murtaugh is really tore up because here again, we can't cross a line and say it's because he's black and he shot a black kid. No, 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 we can't go there. So you get this heartfelt conversation. It only goes so far, but it's heartfelt between these two guys. I don't think race was an issue at all. He shot his friends. They, they do bring it up. He grew up with them. No, because Murtaugh brings it up when he's starting to go all vigilante on these guys. He says something to Tyrone about black-on-black genocide. Right, and He starts right. to bring he says that, that to the kid. He actually says that before to the kid right. with the machine gun. So and... it, it is an issue, but they can't say it. But there's actual acting that goes on between the two of them there, where you actually see that he's busted up over this whole thing but it doesn't even get through that entire scene without them making a stupid ass joke you want to talk about the difference of the movie there is no scene of mel gibson sitting there thinking about suicide holding the gun or mel gibson at the dinner table with the murtaz like roger ebert said in his review there's none of that there's no seriousness there's no room for it in this entire movie and that's where i don't care for it because lethal weapon one we both agree here is superior to these other two movies by far but lethal weapon two and three are basically the same type of movie the only difference i think for you was the toilet scene when they were when they go back and forth but outside of that you don't get those wonderful scenes that you're talking about in lethal weapon two lethal weapon two i think the bad guys are more believable they're not cartoon characters i disagree with you guys i think they are but i think the difference here is when they beat them not only are they defeating this trade this krugerans and drugs and all this other stuff it seems like they defeat racism they didn't pull off of rocky four and where rocky (laughs) there's communism but there is a fight against racism and i'm sorry i actually believed that mel gibson had actual feelings for the girl that ends up getting killed i think there was the start of a real relationship there there's nothing like that in this entire movie there's not not one single thing everything is played off as a joke everybody has a has a snarky funny comment and ruins anything that would be relatively serious another thing with richard donner this is another complaint obviously he has liberal causes he's pro-life and he's anti-fur because it's all over this movie and he also Mm -hmm. placed that all over the movie assassins and no smoking too and no smoking those are his three things but when it comes to actually making a real statement about inner city violence he goes to the lowest common denominator he has the 
gang guys all dressed up like members of NWA because either he or the studio knows that that's what the white people are going to be afraid of. Oh, that's the stereotype. Exactly. Of 1992, that's the stereotype of all your, your typical gangs driving around, you know, in your little hoopty car and stuff. Oh, yeah. Play that stereotype beautifully. And they're, they're all dressed like Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, and Eazy-E, and NWA. No Flavor Flav in the group, though. No, that's no, public I, I enemy. I disagree with you on that, because we only see two scenes. We see them... With the drug scene, with the machine guns. You see him at the funeral. At the funeral, had a number of those kids wearing ties and shirt, button-down shirts. They, Come on. They were just, there were a mixture of it. No, you can't just blink it and say, everybody there that looked like a gang member. Come That's on. not the case. Ed, when the first time you're introduced to him out in front of Murtaugh's house, go back and take a look at the cover of Straight Outta Compton. Do you, want him, to be, like? you, want, to be, do you want him to be dressed up with ties and shirts when we're, we're being introduced to them? I mean, they're bad dudes. So we dress them like the members of NWA, because we know that at this point in time in 1992, that's what white America is really afraid of, is the rappers from NWA. He's going down to the when lowest... Why turn in the CNN all of a sudden He's here? going down to the lowest common denominator. It's the low-hanging fruit. Instead We're of, talking about it's, three minutes worth of time on the movie. But this and is consistent through this movie. I'm not the one that wrote this asinine movie and then decided to make it political by having cops kill a black kid and then not take it seriously. (laughs) That's a major problem for me in this movie. If you're going to do that storyline, it needs to be taken seriously. All Riggs does is justify it. Yeah, the kid had a gun and he was firing back. So yes, it was was justified. The only part that you get that Murtaugh has any sort of guilt is that scene in the boat. And then oh, he has guilt right after he kills the and then it's, I mean, And he... then it's played as a joke at the end of that scene. Then he uses it as a reason to go vigilante. Let me ask you a question, just out of curiosity. I kind of agree with Ken with this. I'm a big stereotype guy. People who know me know I, I like stereotypes. That's just me. I'm going to beat this horse a little bit more. So what should the gang members look like? As they were pulling up. Dress them up like real gang members. How should they have been dressed? Which would be... Red or blue. Or yellow. Red or blue. Or yellow. So you want to gain colors. Not the black hats like what NWAs wear. The little do-rag. There are cases in movies where they showcase how it's more authentic. If you're going to take this subject on, which is a very serious subject, especially in L.A., especially in the early 90s. I don't know if you take it. It's a comedy it shouldn't be used film. as comedy. I'm not saying it's used as comedy, oh, but that's I think not you're, a comedy I think you're overthinking this. Maybe it's a sensitive issue for you, and it should be a sensitive issue for all of us because the world is an awful place, unfortunately. Sometimes. This is like point-counterpoint. Yeah. <laughs> I just think that how much time they spent focusing on this, Ted, if it was half the movie, then maybe I would understand where you're coming from. But this is about three to four minutes worth of film. But they are using the they are using it as the catalyst for two guys and their female partner to go on a vigilante killing spree of every bad guy around. I, I, I guess. So if they wore different colors, you'd be okay with this movie? All no, absolutely not. I'm still not okay with this movie because ultimately <laughs> it's asinine. And I'll continue to use that word. That'll be my word of the day. This movie is completely stupid. I don't like them dressed up as rappers of the 90s. It's ridiculous. Because you're right. That's what people think. That's what people thought in that era. That's exactly what they expected. They it expected was, a little 1960s bouncy car with hydraulics. It was going to scare white America because they were already afraid. All, right, all, right, all right, Rush. Because calm they down. were, I don't they think were it's already do afraid. That. White America in the suburbs was already afraid that their kids were listening to rap music. And this is what they saw. Didn't so we we're going to movie so before we're that give we discussed about this? We're going to get so you feel that Donner Donner was purposely either, either him or the studio. Dude, somebody a lot of somebody made Donner. the student somebody made the decision. Ted, in every scene that's ever made, someone makes a decision. Mm-hmm. There is a decision that's made to move forward, whether it's Donner's or the studio or the writer or the producer. I think probably when this scene came up, I'm sure Donner's like, dress them as clowns. I don't care. All right, because we're going to cash it all the way to the bank anyway. $321 million worth. Is it Donner that does this or is it Wardrobe saying this is the right period of time for this type of 
they're supposed directors to wear. or studio have sway over that. Maybe they do, but I I think you're also just automatically assuming that it's Donner or the studio that is is putting out a message. I'll be I'll be honest, gentlemen. I don't think when this movie was made, I don't think anything we're even talk about was even brought up. Well, yeah, I don't think they were making before, any type of political statement. Well, this is right before Rodney King. And OJ. everything and everything that happens Juice. around the Rodney King beating. At this point in time, if you do any sort of look back at the period of time before Rodney King, it was essentially the LAPD versus that they were patrolling. It was a waged battle. If you're going to do this particular plot line, at least treat it with some respect and be mindful of what's actually going on in the real world. You are giving Lethal Weapon 3 way too much credit I guess here. I, I hold it to the same standard that they set for in the previous Lethal movies. Weapon 1 and 2. Are you going to set Clerks 3 to that big standard of uh, Clerks 1? It's a completely different kind of movie. They aspired and did something in the first two movies that set up and treated things with respect. Now there's no respect to being treated it's just a money grab they didn't joke around with the apartheid roger when he goes in and but you're black they didn't make fun of that i mean come on they they had fun with some of this and in this movie donner was doing one particular thing in general in this movie this movie was aimed at one particular group nra it wasn't aimed at gangs or anything like that the he NRA. was going after the nra isn't the national rifle association yeah because the national rifle association had recently passed allowing those bullets those those top, top killer killers bullets. oh the ones that can approved. lobby the lobbyists for the nra but it was also guns he was so anti-gun that that's what he was focusing on. Okay, he wasn't focusing then he on shouldn't be making movies was... like this if he's then anti-gun. There's a, then there's a, there's a different way to make this movie that you're not and talking see, about inner city Los Angeles prior to the Rodney King beating. And that might be another thing is, I saw this film when it was released. You saw it later. So my reaction is, when I saw this film, was this film was about getting the guns, taking the guns off the street. Yeah. That's what I thought. Just before Boys in the Hood and yes. movies like that. Yes. So I, I think if this movie comes out after that, I think it does a better job of what you want it to be. Well, this is part of the reason that John Singleton made Boys in the Hood, to treat this situation seriously. And I understand where you're coming from. I, I love your passion. I know what you're saying. You're saying, but don't go there then. Or right? don't make a joke out of it. And, I don't know if it's making a joke and out as, of it. Even as far as attacking the NRA, they do a shit job of doing that too all of a sudden you have these quote-unquote cop killer bullets which were an actual thing an actual problem mm-hmm. in the early 90s right. definitely but, but now it can shoot through the shovel of a bulldozer and kill a guy behind it and yeah. another one of those completely ridiculously stupid things yeah i mean i'm not thrilled how, how that ends he's it's got not he's firing a nine he's firing a nine millimeter through i don't care if, if you coat it with teflon like the cop killer bullets or what it's not going to go through the shovel of a bulldozer no it will not bulldozer is going to laugh and keep coming from martin riggs and squish him like mm-hmm. a cockroach yeah and i probably agree with you on that i'm not a big fan but i understand why they did they they're trying to the bad guy who is making everything work because these cop killing bullets dies by that's another horrible thing an ex-white cop selling automatic weapons essentially into the hood mm-hmm. to put more guns and bullets onto the streets yeah <laughs> So that's that's another situation. If you're going to do these sort of things, you need to be prepared to handle it with better hands than what they handled it here. Here's how we resolve it. They shouldn't have done it all. Because here's the thing for you, Ted. No action film like this is going to make this work. Not a series like Lethal Weapon, at least. Lethal Weapon is designed for one thing. For you to watch Mel Gibson and Danny Glover do their thing. That's the only reason why we're here to see this movie. We're not here for political statements. We're not here for anything else. Even though the director likes to throw all these pro-choice, against furs, so many other things that he throws in here. When it's all said and done, the reason why we watch Lethal Weapon is for the chemistry of Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. That's all we care about. If they made a great political statement, wow. But at the end of the day, if Mel Gibson and Danny Glover don't do their thing, I could care less because it's not the movie I came here for. A movie that it makes $321 million. Probably. That's crazy. They should know where they're treading. The director, the actors, they have an opportunity here to reach such a large audience. And instead of taking something serious, they make a jokey out of it. So How are they making a jokey out of it, Ted? I still don't understand the It's down the, the line. The whole movie is a joke. 
They're not making fun of the situation, but I understand they're not being serious enough for you. But where are they being jokey about it? Where are they making everything? Fun? Everything has some sort of funny comment or quip. They have to, because if it's too serious, who's going to want to see this movie? They have to come back and make a joke to bring us back to what we like about Riggs and Murtaugh. We're then not going to tackle like this situation. Because here, in they're... the first two in the first two movies, you made actual statements about things. They were real and they were prescient. You had apartheid in South Africa, and you had the U.S. government, or specifically the military, sanctioning the import of drugs from Vietnam as far as heroin goes. Those are very serious things. They were handled in a serious manner. And now we get to three. Everybody's lazy. Nobody cares anymore. We're going to paint by numbers and paint willy-nilly all over everything and not take anything seriously anymore. I think you give too much credit to the first two movies. I don't see where they took it really seriously in the first two movies. It was there. It was a plot point. That was it. They touched on it here and there, and that's it, and they moved on. That's what they're doing in this movie. It's no different in the first two movies. They touch on it, and they move on. Same with Apartheid. They touched on it. They moved on. wasn't a major thing of either movie. I don't see where you're coming from as far as the first two being so serious and this one not being. There were moments of levity in the first two movies. And this was not a real big issue until after Rodney King. But just look at police misconduct in this movie. Yeah, it's hard to watch now. They terrorize a guy for jaywalking because they think it's funny. They pull a gun on somebody. That should never have been funny. But it was for whatever reason in 92. I have a whole list here of stuff that should never have been funny. I agree with you. Now that we look back, a little cringeworthy. I, I get what you're coming from on this. However, you're you're holding it to the standards of today and not holding it to the standards of 1992. So is it dated a little bit? Yes. This is the most dated out of the four. I agree with you about the jaywalk. But I would have to admit, in 92, I probably laughed at this. Probably enjoyed it. And now I looked at it and like, ooh, especially over the last couple of years, what we've seen during everything that we've witnessed on TV, especially during the pandemic, I think we've been more educated now over the number of years. But in 92, to be honest with you, we thought it was funny. I still think it's a fun movie at times when you have Roger trying to do a spin kick and he hits the water thing. I kind of like those moments of fun. Do they do it one too many times? Yes. I think they do it one too many times. That's why Lethal Weapon 1, the first one, is a superior movie to these other two that we've reviewed. Because there's a better balance. The balance here is off. And I think it's been off since the second movie, to be perfectly honest with you. I can't argue with you much there, but it's obviously not a Lethal Weapon 1 or a Lethal Weapon 2. So let me ask you guys, do we have anything positive to say about this movie? I mean, I think we all know what direction we're all going here. It's no surprise. I liked the lady armored truck driver. Okay. I thought she was funny. If we're going to make this movie, there should have been more of her. She was actually a bright spot in the entire movie. So have her come back into the fourth one if we were playing our cards right. No, not coming back, but she (laughs) should have been in this movie more. I liked her because of the fact when she comes up and she has the flowers and you have Murtaugh, he's hiding behind the desk and Riggs is saying all these things to her. We're like, yeah, he's been talking about you all. I think that stuff is funny because if it was you guys and I was in that situation and the girl that you didn't want to deal with was trying to find you i might do the same thing it's fun they're having fun with it those are the parts that i think i enjoy the most the riggs and murtaugh relationship it's still there their chemistry is still awesome i actually like the elevator scene when mel gibson's talking like castle the murtaugh or whatever you know, however he says it I, I like that interaction i like that she's an adversary renee russo's his adversary at first and she gives him the cross-eyed look when he's giving her a hard time she basically tells him i'm not going to take your crap you might be this guy that does it to other women or to other people and get away with it you're not going to get away with it with me and i appreciate her character for being that I think her character is like that throughout the rest of the film, and I enjoy it. I look forward to seeing her in the next movie. Most times when you introduce a new female lead, like a love interest, into a film, I'm okay if they get killed off with her, and I wanted her to be in the next movie, and she is in the next movie, so happy, joy, joy, joy. When we did Lethal Weapon 2, Ken, you had mentioned that it was starting to be a little Bond-esque. I got the feeling that they tried to do that again with the opening song, which I didn't care for. Instead of jumping right into the action like Lethal Weapon 2 did, which I didn't necessarily care for how they did it, but I understood that they jumped right into the action. It was kind of Bond-esque. To set a different tone for this movie as well, I thought. 
and I didn't necessarily care for how it set everything up. I actually like the song. I like Sting, and I like the song here. I don't but like I, Sting. I, what just, I didn't care for the song. I thought it was awkward at the beginning of this movie. What bothered me a little bit more was the actual score. I thought yep. the score was worse here than it was in the second movie. Big time. I, I struggled with it. My wife actually asked if the same guy did this score that did The Firm. Wow. Yeah. Did you tell her it was Clapton? Because Clapton helped Clapton with the, did with the some of the guitar stuff, but the musical cues in this movie are so annoying. The, yeah. the saxophone is just absolutely galling so we went from positive right back in the negative didn't we the, yes the, the worst though is the the trombone wah 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 yes I totally agree with you. There's something that me and you could get behind. I, and if we want to stand on the mountaintop and scream it, it's that. Ultimately, <laughs> that's, that's the part of this movie that I hate absolutely the most. I, yes, I despised. I, it, it made me hate that entire section. That's how much I hated the wah-wah-wah. That's horrible. It always goes for the lowest common denominator. It doesn't aspire to be anything other than what it is. We're going to take the jokes that are the low-hanging fruit. We're going to do the stereotypes even to the point of what they do to renee russo's character they don't make her anything they treat her like crap how do they treat her like crap i guess i missed this part well for one he takes her into the men's bathroom to have a quote-unquote meeting that's not funny i mean he also she also smacks him in the nutsack i mean good and she also kicks the ass of five guys by herself I'm not saying the director did. I'm just saying the way that they treat her at the beginning. That's one scene. I, I I, mean, they show her to be stronger than Riggs at times. He goes, what's wrong with Mad Magazine? It was fine when I was 12 years old. She gives as much as she gets. I don't agree with you here because they don't, I think she's a strong to start To start off, they don't treat her like an equal. Of course they don't. It's not, it's not he's until, not a cop. He's internal affairs. It's, right. not, it's not until he starts to sleep with her that he starts to treat her like an equal. That's not true because once they go into that warehouse to take on those guys to get the guns they're already working together as buddies they even do the one two three to go in i totally disagree with you and i agree with eric she's internal affairs they're supposed to have different sides yeah internal affairs is the antagonist to the police because they're always the political correctness for the police Right. I mean, they talk about the cameras that were in the interrogation room that they didn't even know about, but they knew about it. So they feel like they're being spied upon. Of course, there's going to be some hostility between the two groups. I think you're going a little far on this. I think she's a strong character. I enjoyed her. She brings more to the table than Pesci ever did. So Ken's positive of the movie is Rene Russo, which is clearly clouded by his infatuation with her. That's okay. Because of this movie. This movie gave me an infatuation for her. Oh, all right. So this is the movie that's set it off for him all right that's cool that's an awesome positive ted can you name a positive there were a few times that i laughed i don't know it's not my cup of tea i don't like the direction this is going i think that it started off very high and it's starting to devolve you have Riggs making an exxon mobile joke oh yeah like i said it's low-hanging fruit Instead of aspiring to be something, they do enough to get by. Because I think they had a feeling that they knew that this was going to be $321 million. So here we go. Did the first two make that kind of money? No, not was nearly near like it? that. No, I didn't think so. This they were very successful. They were very oh, successful. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, this is obviously a huge hit. This is probably the Memorial Day big movie in 1992. I don't even remember if in the 90s that the Memorial Day weekend movie was a big deal. Yeah, it was. Star Wars really, I guess you could say, started the whole Memorial Day weekend craze for the summer movies. Um, I thought it was Jaws. Wasn't Jaws a Memorial Day? That was another one. weekend? Yeah. So this would have been the big movie release. Everybody would have been looking forward to this. I feel really bad for the people who saw the cutout cardboard thing in the movie theater for the stand-up for this movie that had the electronic Joe Pesci moving up and down in between Riggs and Murtaugh and like, oh, he's really going to be a part of it this time. And wow. they That's actually more realistic than the Joe Pesci in the movie. Exactly. The writing is much wow. better than the cardboard Joe Pesci. <laughs> oh, I don't think there's going to be any surprise what our reviews are going to be of this movie. Action movies starting in the early 90s and moving into the mid-90s, they start to change. They start to take things a little bit more seriously. This doesn't. This was a a chore to watch 
Like I got one scene I'm going to bring up here before we go into our views. It kind of frustrated me. So when Riggs is in the burning house frames, if you will, the bad cop hits him behind the head and then Riggs falls down and then he gets the rope to try and hang him. And then Riggs throws him away. And then the guy pulls out a gun and tries to shoot him. Why didn't the guy just shoot him? Why are we doing these James Bond theatric? No, Mr. Riggs. I want you to die. I want you to die. Yes. You know, it's not by this gun. Right. And then, and the the bulldozer, right? He's down on the ground. Oh, let's, let's do the slow moving bulldozer to kill him. I was like, come on. And then the cop killer bullets and the nine miller being thrown by uh, Murtaugh. I was like, this is stupid. And to show you just how unrealistic the whole bulldozer thing is, I watched a Netflix documentary about the guy from Colorado who built the killdozer that wreaked havoc on that small little town, I think it's Camby, Colorado. A guy, he lost his mind and he built this bulldozer with, it was like a tank. And the cops at the time were firing 50 caliber bullets at this killdozer and they were bouncing off. We're supposed to think that this little 9mm gun that has the quote-unquote here's the cop killers! And he tosses him the gun, like that's gonna make some big sort of difference. Isn't it, isn't it a machine gun? No. He, I thought he, it was a machine he tosses him no, a No, it was pistol. a handgun. He tosses he was him loading, a handgun. He was loading a handgun. He was loading his 9mm. I, I remember it. it was like a string of bullets. I definitely thought it was a machine gun. I would tell you to go back and rewatch it, but I wouldn't want to subject you to that. You know what? It was. It was actual Daryl's machine gun. No. It's in my opening line. It do- Okay, here's the thing. It doesn't matter. Maybe initially matter. it was a handgun. It doesn't, doesn't matter, though, right? It doesn't matter. If 50 caliber bullets are flying off of a bulldozer, I don't care what kind of bullets they're going to have in these guns. It's not going to go through. It's completely unbelievable. I agree, especially considering that at the end, Rene Russo's character gets shot and she wears a double-proof vest. And of that course she does. saves her. Right. So if that would be able to save her, then it shouldn't have been able to get through the bulldozer. <laughs> so I totally agree with you on that. Let's wrap this tortilla up here in a nice bow. Let's go with our reviews. I'm going to save Ted for last, just because I'm dying to hear his review of this. Why don't we kick it off with you, Ken? There's a lot of things I agree with Ted about, except I don't know how serious to take the serious issues on an action film like this. Maybe they shouldn't have gone that route. But at the same time, I didn't want them spending a lot of time once they did. Um, The jokes are good, but they're just too many jokes. And I think that's what separates this from, let's say, the first film. Where the first film, you had some nice moments that made you chuckle, but they weren't thrown at you like a machine gun. But I do like the chemistry here of the three main leads, because Rene Russo is now part of that three main, and Joe Pesci has taken a little bit more of a back seat. I agree. I think Joe Pesci should have not been in this, or he should have been killed on the ice and made this a little bit more interesting. There are so many things that could have improved this film, but I do think this film is almost the same film that we saw in Lethal Weapon 2. The only difference in it is you felt a little bit better about the guys that they defeated in 2 because of what they stood for, whereas Jack Travis was just a cop who had one too many cappuccinos. Basically, you really didn't care what happened to him. He wasn't interesting enough. He's the worst bad guy in this series. He's supposed to be menacing. You're supposed to be afraid of him because he puts somebody in cement and kills him. Or he walks in an interrogation room and shoots him. But none of that really makes us afraid of him or think that he's in any way going to beat Riggs and Murtaugh. This movie, for me, is a very weak B-. I'm really close to saying C+. But I I sit there and I can watch this again. I can go downstairs right now and watch it and be fine with it. There's a reason why I made over $300 million. It wasn't just because of the first two. People did like it. Or else it wouldn't have made that much money. I think it's a film that could be watched again. But it's definitely the weakest of the four. And that's my review. So what do you think? Ticket? How much do you think movie tickets were back in 92? Probably six, seven dollars. So let's take three hundred and twelve million, divide that by seven dollars. Because I think probably everyone went to see it one time, just based on the first two, and did not see it again. I'd like to see the trend of like the first week, second week, and just see if this thing just toppled. And um, we also don't know if that three hundred twenty-one includes international. 
So my review of Lethal Weapon 3. This is a marginal movie at best. Very disappointed. I'm sure hoping that the fourth one is better. I think Joe Pesci's character in this is worthless. Doesn't need to be there. I really don't care about the political aspects of this movie. I don't care if they're shooting whoever, each other. I mean, I really don't care. I don't look at a movie like that. I look at a movie just for, is it entertaining? It's made in a different time. It's made in 92. You can't really look at it. 2021 standards. The only thing I can look at standard-wise is acting. Acting stands up. Plots stand up the test of time. And this movie, the plot is thin. The acting is thin. The characters are thin. And it's just not a good movie. For me, am I going to watch it again? No. If I can avoid it, I will. First two, will I watch again? Maybe. Yeah, they're not bad. But this is not on par with even the second one. I know Ken said that this movie is almost like a carbon copy of the second one. No, I think the characters are much more likable in the second one. I think Riggs and Murtaugh are much more likable in the second one. I think the the South Africans and, and everything related to apartheid is much more likable and believable than this one. So for me, this movie is a solid C-. minus. All right, Ted, bring us home. I know you're just looking forward to lambasting this one. I'll be perfectly honest. After watching, No, no, lie to me. I like it. (laughs) After watching the first one, I said in my review, and I was honest, I was looking forward to watching the next installments of this series. And I did enjoy two. It had its problems, and it didn't step up to meet the expectations of the first movie. This, in my opinion, is nothing more than a cash grab. You said, Eric, the plot was thin. I think that's being generous. The plot is so ridiculous, and it's so full of holes. It's worse than Swiss cheese. The studio said, we need to make a third one because it's a hot series. We had two successes. It's going to make a buttload of money. And I think it's telling that there were three rewrites of this movie. So you had three different fingers in this pot. And this is not a case where the director stepped up and took control of the direction he wanted his movie to go. Renee Russo is good in this movie, but her character is not. There's very little depth to the character. We don't find anything out about her. We don't have the same connection that we had to Riggs and Murtaugh from the first two movies. And if you're going to introduce a character like this that's supposed to be on the caliber of your two stars, that falls woefully short, even though I do like her character. And as far as Joe Pesci goes, the reason I think Joe Pesci is here is because there was success of Goodfellas. And they were able to put his name on the marquee and people connected. Oh, hey, Goodfellas, Joe Pesci, Oscar winner. Boom. More money coming in. I would have loved a Goodfellas character in this movie. Oh, Tommy? Yeah. Of a Joe Pesci. Right. But no, they put his name on the marquee to draw in even more customers to the turnstile. And they completely misuse him. They don't use any of his acting ability. And the action sequences here, one, there's too many of them. They're unbelievable to the point where a simple thing like a motorcycle falling off the overpass onto the ground, it looks like a bomb exploded. And at the end, the truck that explodes, I don't know what kind of ammunition that they had in the truck. Maybe they had rockets and that was what was flying up into the air over the top and ridiculous. It's just one thing after another. And the thing that made it the most galling for me is you want to have something so thin like this and that you're going to continually go after the lowest common denominator. If you're going to take on something serious, and at the time when this movie was made, there were serious issues that were real life. Don't touch them because you're not going to treat them with respect and people can like it or not. I can't say what I would have done in 1992 because one, I was in seventh grade and a completely different point in my life. But watching it now, don't even bother. Don't bother with trying to make any sort of point to the movie because you're not going to treat it with respect. I will not watch this movie again. I've had to force myself to watch it for the third time. This is by far the worst of the three movies we watched so far. And I'm saying a small prayer that Jet Li and Chris Rock can come and save four from being a complete and utter train wreck. This was horrible. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. And that's why it's not going to get an F. Was it Maverick bad? It's <laughs> Maverick. This movie makes Maverick look like Gone with the Wind or <laughs> Citizen Kane. This movie is a solid D. I can't even bring myself to watch it again. This is worse than Assassins. I can go back and watch Assassins and still have a good time. I couldn't have a good time with this movie. Ugh. 
I'll disagree with you on that. Oh, I'm yeah. Not, Hell yeah. So a little bit a little bit higher than Assassin's. We were talking about earlier, domestically, this made $150 million. It was actually a little bit lower, slightly lower than Lethal Weapon 2 domestically. Okay, mm-hmm. so internationally, it was a 300 mil. It was a big deal yeah. internationally. But still, 150 is not bad. Especially when you have a $30 million budget. Sure, for a third it's movie. Huge, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, that's cha-ching, baby. Cha-ching. I mean, this is the equivalent of Mr. Moneybags and Monopoly running all the way to the bank. <laughs> That's all the time we have here today um, the movie marquee. Ted, where can they find us on the, uh, the World Wide Web? We can be found on Twitter at movie underscore marquee with two E's. And on whatever platform you're listening to us, if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple, giving us a five-star rating and a review is really helpful. It helps us get seen by more people. And the more eyeballs that we can get on here, maybe eventually we'll be able to pay Ken for all of the great editing that he does. Yeah, he makes us sound intelligent. He makes us sound better than what I really am. Hey, all right, Ken, what's going on with Facebook there? Any uh, new recipes on the website? Well, you all can join us on Facebook, Movie Marquee with two E's as well. Just go ahead and make that request and we'll prove you and then we'll go from there. The latest thing that we have out there is an article about Roger Ebert's 35 movies that he really didn't like. And some of these movies are very interesting. He didn't like Hocus Pocus. He didn't like the original Thor movie. He didn't like The Usual Suspects. That, hmm. Out of all the movies that he didn't like, The Usual Suspects, he gave it one and a half stars. Wow. Um, he didn't like Tommy Boy. It's a one star for Tommy Boy. Yeah. I mean, some are understandable, like Spice World and Armageddon, hmm. uh, but yeah, hmm. I just don't understand the, the Usual Suspects there. That's Yeah, just, I don't understand The Usual Suspects. That's just crazy. But yeah, check that article out. It's a very interesting article. Fast Times of Richmond High, one star. Incredible. So, Incredible. There's some iconic Come on, movies Roger. there What's that going Roger on? Interesting. Ebert, that especially Ted, adores, that he just doesn't really like these movies. But again, it all comes down to taste. So it just does. because it does. I like something and Ted doesn't like something doesn't make me wrong. It usually makes me right and Ted wrong, but it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, just kidding oh, about that. But ultimately, it's all in the though, eye of the beholder. Ultimately, though, with Roger Ebert, it's the way he writes. I am attracted to the way he writes. I think that he writes extremely intelligently, even though I don't necessarily agree with the outcome of the review. He has a use of the, the English language that is second to none. Yeah, it's like this movie right here, his review. I kind of understood where he came from because I was kind of like where he was at. But he puts it in a way that sounds much more intelligent than I could ever make it sound. Yeah, me too. That's why I appreciate him as well. Next time, get ready for the final installment of the Lethal Weapon series, Lethal Weapon 4, with Jet Li and Chris Rock added to the mix. Please, Chris Rock. Please, Jet Li. an enjoyable time. Is Pesci in this one, too? Yeah, she is in it. All right. She is in it. Might be even a little bit more than three. Oh, boy. All right. Well, (laughs) for me, this this is the first time I've never seen four, so these are virgin eyes and ears. Let's all say a prayer that Lethal Weapon 4 is going to be a positive watch and review by all of us. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's all the time we have for this episode. I appreciate you all listening. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. See you at the movies. See you next time at the Movie Marquee. Mm